Well, if you are joining us online, we are doing a recap of our real life vision. Uh, at our baptisms, we spoke about uh, we are a church that believe in the power of the gospel for the redeemed life. And wasn't uh, our kickoff just absolutely fantastic? Uh, so many being baptized. It was awesome. And then last week, I spoke about the empowered life and explained to you about the role of Romans chapter 12 and the gifts that God has given us, the speaking gifts and the service gifts and how every one of us is called to be engaged in those gifts that God has given us in that journey. Well, I want to share with you under active life, A, is about the, uh, a theology and an idea that is quite common amongst those of us who are our Baptists, who are Mennonites, our Anabaptist history, and our kind of history as um, a denomination and churches, which is the priesthood of all believers, And I don't know, the moment I mention priesthood, of course, uh, a lot of people have ideas about priesthood, don't they? They... It's become almost like a, in some circles, a dirty word. Uh, because of the scandals of around priests, because of what has happened nationally, internationally, because of great institutions that have been rocked, because of the, the, uh, the, the criminal actions of some and the pain that has been created by that. And yet, in Scripture, priest is a beautiful term that describes somebody who is a servant of God and ministers with God. And I remember going to the West End in London. I was very excited. I was going to see the musical La Mis. And it's all about the French Revolution. And I got in. I got my ticket, sat there. It all started, of course, Uh, The story, of course, is about a renegade young man who comes right in the backdrop of of, uh, the French Revolution and guillotines are flying. And and there's that scene, of course, when the priest, his house is robbed and the authorities find the guy that has robbed the young man and drag him back and throws him down in front of the priest. And, and there is all the silver and all of the uh, possessions from the priest's house. And the priest turns and says, oh, no, no, this is a mistake. Uh, these things belong to this man. In fact, he, he forgot some items. Turns around and grabs some items, throw them in the bag. It's an amazing scene. And says, now go off and change your life and be a completely different person. And of course, the story is about the transformation of going off and, and then the revolution and French flags are flying and as well as a few heads. And, and all of this, and it's all, viva France. And, and it's all very exciting. I love that because it's a priest who is gorgeous, a priest who is ministering, who gives a second chance, who comes. I mean, if you read Jane Austen, you get the Reverend Collins in the Jane Austen books, don't you? Who is self-centered, who is outspoken, who has a fine last name, I would say. But he is, uh, you know, a little... 
um, prideful, supercilious, a kind of English priest, an Anglican uh, vicar in the community who likes the sound of his own voice. <laughs> Imagine a Collins like that. And, and all of this you think and you see a, a priest there, but then you get Oscars last year about the priests in Boston and the cover-up and all to do with what took place. When we start to think about the priesthood of all believers, suddenly we start to wonder, well, what does this really mean? Well, I want to explain to you what the priesthood of all believers is about because it affects our belief in the active life. And I want to take you on a journey right the way through the Old Testament into the ministry of Jesus, into the teaching of the great writers of the New Testament and right down to you and explain to you our response as priests in God's church and what God calls us to do. Now let's, let's not complicate it. Of course, there is the office of those that we know as priests in denominations or pastors or teachers or so on. And then there's the priest of all believers. The Catholics call this the priesthood of the fellowship. The Orthodox call it the priesthood of the baptized. And in fact, Vatican II in the 60s changes a lot of this uh, thought and thinking, but I haven't got time to get into that. So what is a priest in the Old Testament? Well, we've got to go right the way back to the book of Genesis, where God breathed into Adam and Eve and brought them life. And what were they created? They were created into the image and the likeness of God. Can I say to you that the image and the likeness of God is still within you? Not only was that them breathed, but they were given tasks. Adam, Eve were the first great priests of humanity. In fact, God and theology is about temple theology. It's about the presence of God. And the garden was a place where men were, but where God dwelt. And if you understand the language of Genesis, it is all wrapped up with the theology of temple and service. And what was their priestly service? Well, first of all, cultivation. Human beings are always at their best when we are cultivating things, when we are developing things. True? We love to cultivate. We love to get things going. We love to cultivate and then to push the boundaries. And then they were called to what? To bring order into the chaos. And so there was this chaos world and they were brought to bring order and change and the garden would would grow and the priests would minister and the Lord would come in the cool of the evening. And what would the Lord do? He would walk with them in the cool of the evening. Priestly duties to guard, to keep it holy, to obey God. But of course we know the story. That there the fall took place and sin entered the world and chaos came. But we have the first priests there, Adam, Eve, in the glory of God, serving God in the way that we should. And we can learn a lot of lessons about our priestly duties. Then we have Israel, who comes, who was called a nation of priests. Now, sometimes we get confused about this. There was the priestly tribe, if you don't know this. 
the Levites, etc., of the priestly tribe. But actually the whole nation was supposed to be a nation of priests. They lived and they served God in the most glorious way. And they should have been a banner, an example of how to live life and how to do life correctly. Amazing. And you have Moses on the mountain holding the tension between God's kingdom and the glorious supernatural world of God's reign and God's kingdom. And here on earth, and there you have the tabernacle in the middle. There you have the temple in the middle. And God's glory would come down. And the role of the priest was to do what the word commanded them to do in the five books, the Torah. And the role of the priest was also to steward and protect the holiness of the nation and to protect and steward the glory of God and God's blessing that should come through Israel as they bless all the nations. But it didn't go as to plan. Israel loved disobedience. They loved rebellion. They loved idolatry. They would rather serve themselves than to serve their God in heaven. And we see how the nation fell right the way down into exile and they were taken to Babylon. A bit of a, a sweep over history. But around David's time, particularly in Psalm 110, we start to see the prophetic earthquake starting to come. We start to see clarity in the mist coming out. And we start to hear of a high priest that will reign forever and will bless all nations. And there we see here that David and the prophets, would, there would be a priest forever by the order of Melchizedek, by the order of an eternal priest that will last forever and will minister to all nations. Speaking of Jesus, the prophets started to become absolutely full of this in their prayerfulness, in their writings. And if you've read books like Isaiah, you know that chapter 59 through to chapter 62 is all about, and 66 is all about the, 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 that there's something happening. There's somebody coming. There's a suffering servant. There is a lamb of God. There is a great man that is going to come and change things that where we have failed, God's going to bless all the nations and sprinkle them with a blood that will change them forever. And so there's this, this, this sense in the prophetic writing that there's a new priest coming, that there's a new priest that's going to move amongst us and he's going to be profoundly different. And so this priest This new change will happen where he will minister to God and minister to others. And that's where we get Isaiah 61. For the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captive, to bring deliverance to the poor. There is, a, there is something that is happening that is changing in the great narrative of Scripture. And then we have Jesus appear. And let me tell you about Jesus. The great high priest. Jesus fulfilled all the role of priestly duties, but he didn't do it in the way that they expected him to do it. You see, the role of the priest, first of all, was to be inducted into his priestly mission and priestly duties. 
to teach the word, to attend to the presence of God, to, to minister to the Lord in so many ways. And this would happen when a, a priest in the Old Testament at 30 years of age would go into the temple, be purified in water, and then after the purifying of water, according to Leviticus, the priest would come out and now be fit to serve as a priest in the Holy of Holies. It is no coincidence that the age of 30, Jesus walked into the waters of Jordan, took his cousin's hand, was baptized in water, and came up at the beginning of his priestly duties. At 30 years old, he was baptized so he could begin his great duty as the great high priest. That moment. So what did priests do? Well, priests, of course, were the only ones that were allowed to minister on the Sabbath. But Jesus, you know, from Mark chapter 3 and many other scriptures, ministered all the time on the Sabbath with the withered hand, did the miracle, moved in the synagogue. How dare you do this? You cannot do this on the Sabbath. Yes, I can do this on the Sabbath because I am the high priest that has come to save the world. It was a priestly duties that he was engaging in. Purification. You know, because I've shared with you that if somebody had a skin disease, if somebody had leprosy, if somebody was, uh, if there was a dead body, that a priest couldn't touch a dead body, a priest could proclaim freedom over leprosy and the unclean and would declare that they were clean, that they were clean, that they were clean. And yet now we see Jesus, the great high priest, Ministering in uh, John chapter, uh, Mark chapter 5, ministering to a man, a Samaritan, an outcast in a graveyard and giving him freedom and giving him life. That's the work of priestly ministry. You see Jesus touching and healing a woman that has bled for 12 years. That's priestly ministry. Declaring them. You see him taking hold of Jairus' daughter's hand and touching a dead body. And priests were not allowed to touch dead bodies. That's why we have the story of the Good Samaritan and the priest stepping over. Touching him, uh, touching the dead body and the child coming back to life. Priestly duty. You see, Christ's purity, Christ's devotion, Christ's priesthood ministered to those who were broken, who were hurting, who were outcasts, who were even dead. And he brought them to purification and brought them back to life. That's the role of the great priest. A teacher. Priests were always meant to teach. Teach the Torah, teach the message, teach about holiness and teach about goodness. And we see Matthew 5 through to Matthew 7, the greatest sermon on the mount as he taught the beautiful sermon. In Mark chapter 4, as he explained all of the um, parables in many, many places, spoke about these things. But of course, Jesus never did a sacrifice. He never took a sacrifice He never engaged in the sacrificial process of the temple. Why? Because he was the sacrifice that would be given for this world. 
He's the high priest who would be handed over and would be slaughtered and take the punishment for humanity's failings and sin from Adam, the first high priest, to Christ, the great, eternal, forever high priest of the world. It's amazing. And you can see the priestly theology oozing out of Scripture in the most amazing and most glorious way. You say, okay, thank you, Pastor Phil. You must be out of breath. You've taken us from Genesis right the way through to the Gospels, and you've explained to us the priestly duties. What does this have to do with me? Everything. Because every one of you and I, we are called now to be priests in the church of God. Every one of us is called to royal priesthood. Let me explain this. Let me start by explaining first, I'm going to talk about Peter's theology, Paul's theology. I'm going to talk about the writer of the Hebrews. And I'm going to talk about the writer of Revelations, John's theology. And we'll be out about two o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> no, flying over it. But let's start with this central verse of priesthood in Scripture, which is here in Peter, chapter 4. Christ is the living stone. People did not accept him, but God chose him, and God placed the highest value on him. You are also like living stones. This is the very essence of church life, that we gather together, that we commune together, that we love together, that we are living stones in a new temple and Christ is the cornerstone that holds us all together, is Peter's theology. Come to Christ and you are being built into the house of worship and there you will be holy priests. You will be holy priests. I am a holy priest. Priesthood is not just to do with the religious hierarchical uh, position, which was brought in and altered around 450 AD and then massively altered under Pope uh, Gregory under 1050 uh, AD, completely revolutionized everything and, and brought this idea of an elite status that would come into the church. No, I'll tell you, every one of us is called to be priests. There is no elite status. There may be ministry offices, but every one of you and I are called to be priests in the kingdom of God. Let's pop back to that verse. And as we look again at that verse in Peter, what does it say? A house of worship. There you will be holy priests. You will offer spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. Every one of us is called to offer spiritual sacrifices. Do you know what the spiritual sacrifices are? I've been asking people this week. I've been doing a survey. I've been a bit cheeky with people. I've been saying, do you know that you're a priest? Mm-hmm. And do you know that you have spiritual, spiritual sacrifices to offer? And they, mm-hmm. I said, tell me some of those spiritual sacrifices. Mm-hmm. You know them, of course, because you are amazing. 
But those spiritual sacrifices, what are they? What do they conspire? I've asked the youth pastors. That was very interesting. I... I've asked people that I've had coffee with on pastoral appointments at the end. I said, tell me about spiritual sacrifices. Uh, embarrassing. And, and often we don't know if we are priests and we're in a temple that is living called the church. What are our spiritual sacrifices? What am I meant to do? And there as a holy priest. You will offer spiritual sacrifice. God will accept them because of what Jesus Christ has done. So not only do you offer them, these aren't somehow made up, but God accepts them because of Jesus Christ. What is our spiritual sacrifice? Well, let's certainly for Peter's writing, the spiritual sacrifice was about being a holy people and living holy. For Peter, the spiritual sacrifice was about interacting as a church together. For Peter, as a spiritual sacrifice, it was about caring for one another's needs. For Peter, when we, when we do spiritual sacrifices, it was about our involvement in the church of God, God's bride. That none of us can be individualistic and isolated. We are called to serve the church of Christ. And when you serve the church in ministry, you are offering a spiritual sacrifice. When you lift your voice in praise and worship and prayer, it is a spiritual sacrifice. See, Paul's theology was this. His spiritual sacrifice, you could say, starts in Romans 12, verse 1. Give your whole life over to God. But actually practically working it out... It was evangelism for him in Romans. He spoke about that my evangelism to the Gentiles was an act of spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. It was teaching, he said in Colossians. And when I speak and when I teach, it is an act of spiritual sacrifice as I'm a priest teaching. When he's suffering, he said in Philippians, I have burnt myself out and I've become a drink offering and my work for God has been difficult and people have opposed me and they've persecuted me, but this is spiritual sacrifice. My giving, he also says in Philippians, he talks about their offering, that when we bring our tithes and we bring our offerings to the church and to the work of the kingdom and the gathering of all of the priesthood of all believers, those offerings that we give on a weekly or monthly basis are sweet incense to the Lord. But if you look to the book of Hebrews... Hebrews is amazing because it talks about the priestly duty in a kind of prayerful intimacy. It really unpacks the language of going into the very holy of holies. It unpacks the language of intimacy and closeness and prayerfulness, about drawing near behind the curtain, about entering into God's presence and knowing God's presence within our lives. And that closeness that is there that we can now boldly approach him. And so we can know. So let us never stop offering, he says, our praises through Jesus. Let us talk openly about 
about faith in him. It's about these offerings that we bring to God in boldness. So I hope you're getting a picture of the priestly duties. I hope you're understanding that as you start to see your ministry, you start to see it unfolding. If we go to the book of Revelation, we discover that John, who wrote the book of Revelation, spoke about the priestly duties as a whole range of things, that we are a kingdom of priests, that we listen to the word that we don't deny Christ, that we hold on to the truth and that we are not cowards. So Peter talks about the body. Paul talks about the ministry. Hebrews talks about the intimacy. And Revelation talks about our commitment to keep moving forward for God as priests in the kingdom of God before the future. 2015, February, social media went mad. As images and and recordings were put on the ISIS website, we saw 21 images of men dressed in black. And we saw 21 dear North African brothers kneeling before the cameras. And as the men in black took the knives out, this is February 2015, they were simply asked this question, do you recant on your belief that Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, is Lord? Will you renounce your Christianity and on that renouncing, you will go free? Yes, you can live amongst the caliphate and you can have a sign painted on your door saying followers of the Nazarene. But at this moment, you have a choice. YouTube, Facebook came alive with these images of 21 priestly individuals who are Christians in the kingdom of God who said we will not denounce Jesus Christ, at which point 21 of them had their throats cut and they died for Jesus. True priests. They weren't priests in terms of their hierarchical order within any church structure, but they were priests because they were not cowards. They were priests because of what John taught. They were priests because they were part of a holy nation, a real, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. They were priests. And we've got to be willing in our journey as priests to say, what does this really mean? When I act and when I step forward, what are my spiritual sacrifices? So I've got all the way here to tell you, which generally is agreed amongst great theologians and taken from church history and the way that we approach the priesthood of all believers, from all the great movements, the seven areas that mark us as priests, as sacrifices, and what we should do. And you go, only seven points now. But honestly, you are a priest.
of the kingdom of God. You are called to participate in the priesthood of all believers. You are called to service. You are called to be part of this. And where does the calling start? I'll give you seven areas, but I'm not going to get them on the screen yet. I'll put them in at the end. So I'll keep you with me. But I'll fly over them pretty quick. I mean, we've gone from Genesis to Revelation in 23 minutes, which um, is pretty good. Number one, and you're doing a great job. Number one is this. It starts with baptism. You may find this a little strange, but as Jesus, of course, was ordained, if you like to think of it that way, his beginning of his ministry in, in, his, in his journey, for every one of you, you got serious. You stepped into it. You made baptismal commitment and vows when you said, I am baptized with Christ. And I see that as the beginning of what we have to remind ourselves of that beautiful moment when we were baptized in water and we said, I will follow Christ for the rest of my life. And we must not forget the power of baptism in the story of us as priests of the kingdom of God. When I got baptized as a 15-year-old and it came out that water, I was saying, I am utterly committed to the nation, to the kingdom of God. And I shook the water off and I shouted hallelujah. And I was saying, I will serve Christ for the rest of my life. The danger is this. Let's say you were ordained at that point to be a priesthood of all believers. The danger is this, that we are not living to the calling of our priestly duties and we back away from that vow we did as a baptized believer. Are you living according to your baptized faith? Are you living the way? Are you reminding yourself that you have died to self and you've risen to Christ? Are you living in that accordance? It starts with baptism in that way. See, when I wash my hands, which you'll be pleased I do, but I wash my hands, often I pause and I let the water run over my hands for about five or six seconds and I simply, I did it this morning, I simply remind myself that I am baptised I no longer live and I'm a servant of Christ. And the water reminds me that I am a priest of the kingdom and I've been raised with him. How would your life change if you reminded yourself every day you are a priest in the kingdom of God? How would that change your lips? How would that change your attitude? How would that change your approach to your walk? Starts with baptism. The second area of priestly duty is prayer. Personal, is it possible that when you crack your Bible open and you have a steaming cup of coffee from Starbucks and you start, or Tim Hortons, and you start to read and you start to pray that that prayerful action of intercession is an offering, fragrant sacrifice that goes up to the Lord. 
Is it possible that when we gather on Monday night, the last Monday every month, as living stones for Willow One Prayer, it's not just that Pastor Phil thinks it's a good idea for us to have a prayer meeting. No, Pastor Phil thinks it's a great idea that the priests of the living God gather together and spend an evening praying to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And is it possible that as we gather and pray, That that is a sacrifice that goes up to the King of Kings. That's why our devotions, that's why our prayer life. The third thing is reading scripture. Priests would consume. You know that Jews would walk around with scripture on their heads in a small box. They would recite the Torah. Scripture was a part of their life because we believe that it's God breathed. It is God chosen. It is God inspired. That's Scripture is different. And when we open Scripture and we teach Scripture in that little Bible study, oh, one-to-one, and teach a younger Christian how to grow, is it possible that that, that Scripture that we're holding on to is, an, is a glorious sacrifice that goes up to God? Scripture is so different from anything else you read in all the world. When I started dating Michelle, we used to do a little thing. We used to write journals to each other. I was traveling and preaching, and, and I'd go away for two or three weeks at a time. I'd come and preach across the prairies. And, and we had a, a terrific, wonderful courtship. And, and what we'd do was we'd buy each other a journal and we'd swap the journals over. And while I was away for three weeks, every day Michelle would write in her journal about her day, about her life, about her love for me. She would write me a journal love letter. Isn't that brilliant? And I'd do the same. Not quite as elegant, I would say. More using crayons. But I would write... And my pictures and draw my hearts with PC for M. And, and I would I'd do the, I, I joke, but you know, I would, I would write at the end of it. After three weeks, we'd be reunited and I'd have jet lag or whatever. And we'd always swap over journals. And then I'd go away and it'd take me a week to read hers because it was brilliant. And she'd have a look at mine. And... <laughs> And I would read with all the spelling mistakes and all the dyslexic nonsense. It was amazing. But she loved me. And I, I would read this. We did this loads. So we got buckets full of journals. And I would read that journal like I would read nothing in this world. Why? Because it was written to me out of love. Can you not read the Bible like that? You're a priest. Can you not just crack it open every day and read some verses, linger in it with the divineness? You are a priest of the kingdom of God. Can you not let it muse in your soul and make a difference in your life? Ministry is the next one. Ministering to each other. Is it possible that you, when you bake a pie and you take it to a friend who's going through a tough time, that that pie not only smells good on earth, but it smells good in heaven? 
Is it possible that when you bake 20,000 cookies for living nativity, that that is a sacrificial act of kindness to our, our community and the smell goes up to heaven? Is it possible that when you invite people around for dinner and spend time with them and you bless them and speak good words and get to know them, that this is a sacrificial moment as you teach, as you serve in Sunday school, as you reach out, as you make a difference? Is it possible ministry in so many different directions is a sacrificial role to God and every one of us should be ministering as priests in the kingdom of God. The next one you're not going to like. Correction. Or as we call it in Anabaptist circles, church discipline. It doesn't tend to go well at times. But the very nature of a priest is to encourage one another to live holy lives and to be corrected when we start to drift off. The problem is, is that correction has been replaced by church discipline that has been seen as abusive and in fact at times is abusive. It is neither loving, it is neither encouraging, and neither correction. It is judgmental, it is harsh, and it has become isolating. And that's where we get words like shunning from. And we get words in our history, these kind of things. But you know what? When somebody falls and breaks a leg, Galatians says, church discipline is that we are the medical team that get round each other. We heal each other's legs. We mend and we restore people into their priestly duties. We do it out of love and grace. See, 95% of any church discipline of correction amongst the priests happens informally amongst ourselves, in friendships, in love groups. Come on, let's, let's, let's change this. Why are you acting this way? Why is your character like this? Why is it every time I get with you, you just gossip and you're full of bitterness? Can I encourage you to look at that and Discover these kind of conversations should be beautiful and welcomed. But you know, when, when you try and correct people, I've, I'm a pastor, I've, I've attempted at this dismally at times. Um, and sometimes with a sledgehammer in my 20s, and that did not go well. Metaphorically, that is. People just get frustrated, they take, take offense, and they go and join another church. And then they join another church. Longevity within a body of believers where you are known, where you are loved, where you are accountable, where you pray, where you minister. Longevity brings the blessing of the Lord. We are a living body. Next, proclamation, evangelism. We are all called to support the global mission of reaching out as priests. We may not have the gift of evangelism. We may not feel equipped, although that's changing because we have Pursuit Night School where you can get equipped on a Tuesday night in all the ministry skills that you need to engage in our culture. But evangelism, is it possible that when you lead an alpha group and you have an alpha table, that that's an offering to the Lord? Is it possible that when you have a conversation with somebody and share Jesus, that it's an offering to the Lord? Very possible. Okay, we'll put the slide on. And the final one is the Lord's Supper. 
bookend, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We have made that visible commitment to always follow Christ and we be, have declared that I am a priest in the kingdom of God and I move all the way down and through and I regularly remember all that Christ has done. Can I simply and humbly ask you, are you living according to the way that God calls us as priests to live? Are you following Jesus? How do you mark yourself in these areas? Prayer, reading, ministry, correction, proclamation. Each of these are fractal edges of so many other sides, so many other ministries, so much flowing and moving and working. How are you doing in any of these areas? Have you become cold? Have you become hard? Have you become resentful? Or have you just lost your enthusiasm and your joy to bring sacrifices to the Lord in all these spiritual activities? You used to be a great prayer, but you don't pray anymore. You'd never leave the house without reading the Bible, but you're not reading the Bible. You're not engaging in it. Oh, you used to lead a group in this church, but you don't lead groups anymore. Maybe you got upset because somebody mentioned something about something you were doing, and, and you've popped up here at Willow Park, and you don't like it when people maybe challenge you rather than welcome it. I'm challenged all the time. I'm most challenged by the people that love me the most, most challenged by my wife about my attitude and my thoughts. Isn't that true? Gentlemen who are now feeling under pressure because you never wrote a love journal. <laughs> oh, yes. It's never too late to start. There's a lot to be said about the priest of all believers and the wedding bed in Hebrews, by the way. Check that out. I haven't got time to preach about that. About keeping the purity of mind and the devotion to the one you love as a priest. But are you willing? Are you willing to step back in? Are you willing to pick up that from where you were baptized? And then what a beautiful way now to break bread and have communion together. The seventh thing. You say, but I'm, I'm, I've drifted so far. I only came here to, you know, I don't know why I came here. You came for this message. I've drifted so far. Then it's very simple. You belong to Christ. Then respond to him. You say, but I'm not a Christian. Then respond to him. Ask God to forgive you. And come into your life and change you. And start to live your life with a priestly emphasis. Start to live your life and pause and let the water run over your hands. See, we believe in a triune God. Some of these we minister to the Father. When we pray, when we read the Bible... We do it to the Father through Jesus Christ. When we minister to each other, 
We do it in the love of Jesus and his example. And when we witness to the world, we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Luther said, read the Old Testament like Jesus is the high priest and you are a priest. And understand all that God calls us to do as we steward his presence in our lives. As we boldly go, as we receive his forgiveness and his love. Let's pray. I'm going to ask as we bow our heads that the servers would come and take position. Get ready. But at this moment, would you cast your mind back to the moment you were baptised? And now cast your mind forward to this moment. And are you willing again to rededicate your whole life to Christ and to serve him. Father, we pray as we come to communion and as we serve it, that your spirit will fill us. We pray, forgive us where we have drifted from you and come, Lord, and draw us close. Where we failed to be fully engaged in our priestly duties. Help us to view them in this way. Help us to steward holiness and closeness and honouring and your word and ministry, Lord, in our life, I ask. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.